Heart of the Matter Long, I'm Sean McCraney, your host. We're out of Salt Lake City. Not too many more of these shows, the way they're coming out to you, uh, left because in 2022, we're going to be changing things up radically and we want you to be a part of it. Let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll talk about that. Father, bless us and help us to understand your truth as we talk about the concepts of uh, our topic tonight. Bless Mags as she gets this out to people who are going to be watching in the archives and live and then also uh, help those who are seeking for truth that they will have your spirit to be with them and forgive the things I say that are wrong and help people to test all things and hold fast to what is good. And we pray for this in Jesus name. Amen. In the West Coast, I'm not sure about the East or Central, uh, or not Central, uh, the Midwest, but in the West Coast, there are these restaurants called In-N-Out Burger. They're owned by a Christian family. Uh, and uh, they used to have a commercial that says, in and out, in and out. That's what uh, uh, hamburgers all about. Very popular. I ate it in and out the other day with my grandsons. It's their favorite food. And uh, and I was singing that song. They had never heard it. And we talked about it. Well, tonight's show is called In and Out. That's what the afterlife is all about. And I want to use the scripture to teach you some things that I think are pretty insightful if you allow it. Now, remember coming 2020 early, we're going to be announcing uh, some changes that if you like what we do now, you're going to want to be a part of it. And the way you throw your hat in the ring, not commit, not commit, not sign up for anything, but just say, hey, I'm interested in what you might be doing is to send us an email, sean at aletheamedia.com, and to give us your name and your um, estate or country of residence. That's it. And and people are at, starting to ask, well, why aren't you telling us what it's going to be? We will. And and you have the you have the opportunity to say, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. It's no problem. Never been a problem. But here's the thing. We have grown the ministry up in the jungle. And we have all kinds of wild animals and beasts that are seeking to kill us constantly. Um, we have cobras and, and rhinoceroses and all the other animals that live in jungles trying to kill us. And they do that through invading us. And then when we do a show, they come in and they write comments and then they send us emails and then they use our clips and they put it up on their own site, and then the, they'll show the clip, and, and they'll talk about it, usually out of context, without understanding the full scope. And we've dealt with that for over 20 years, uh, or about 20 years, and, and it's really tiresome. So one thing we're doing to kind of help offset, offset that is to get you to just tell us your name and where you live and put you in our database, and uh, because then we're going to... Uh, put all those animals in cages or kick them out and have them uh, go exist somewhere else. That's part of the strategy. So I just wanted to let you know that. Many of you know we're working on uh, a new apostolic record called the TVAR, Transversional Apostolic Record. That's the working title of it. It's of the New Testament or what people call the New Testament. And it's a huge undertaking. I'm talking about uh, really labor intensive. And we appreciate those of you who have supported us in that endeavor for quite a while now. It is coming forward. It's taking work. And, uh, but we finished four of the apostolic record books and we finished revelation, which was a Herculean task because we go through and we are footnoting and annotating and making comments and, 
and doing all kinds of research to look at every single passage, line, word, and help people who read the book of Revelation to understand it as part of our TVAR that will ultimately be released to you. But um, in retranslating and reformatting the book of Revelation, uh, supplying thousands of scriptural references and hundreds of footnotes that support and endorse uh, a view that I call the, the fulfilled view, the fulfilled view, I came to understand the book uh, much better. In fact, the whole of scripture much better because of my study in, in going through and doing Revelation. And one of the things I realized is when Jesus is asked by Peter, James, John, and Andrew on the Mount of Olives, when the end of the age would be, King James calls it the end of the world, which misleads so many people to think that they're talking about the end of this whole world, and they're not. When would the end of the age be, and what would be the sign of his coming? Jesus plainly states that no man knew the hour or the day, nor the angels of heaven, but his father only. And But there would come a time that would be given of the father uh, to Jesus, a great deal of information about the final day, the final hour, and where he would be revealed. He would come and he would be revealed. That's why they call the book of his revealing Revelation. It's going to be uncovered. He's going to be seen for what he always was to his brethren, the Jews who put him to death. And so we come to the book of Revelation, the book of Christ being revealed uh, for who he was and the signs that would uh, come before he arrived. Everything that would happen before his revealing to his brethren who put him to death. And so the book opens up and John tells the seven churches that the end was at hand. That means like, here's the end, here's the hand, the end is at hand. It's within reach, is what John says. And that he says that everything uh, uh, that he was about to reveal to them in that revelation was going to happen quickly. It was going to happen quickly. And then he goes into 20 chapters and using some pretty esoteric descriptions and signs, borrowing heavily from the Old Testament. I mean, if you don't read the Old Testament, you'll never understand Revelation. And then after describing everything that was coming down the pike to them that was at hand, that was going to happen quickly, those are the words to Jesus, to the seven churches, I come quickly. To those seven churches then, John winds the whole revelation up by describing what would exist thereafter. After all those things occurred and happened and to fulfill what God intended to do through the victory of his son, and that would be consummately revealed at his, uh, at his coming. And so, he describes what would be thereafter, meaning once everything in the 20 chapters plus were fulfilled to them then, because the time was at hand. And he gives a short description of what will be once all the devastation and horrors are poured out upon the nation of Israel 
primarily at Jerusalem. All right? Listen to what the first verses of the last chapter say from John after everything has happened. He says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear and crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there would be no more curse, but the throne of God the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. Now that could be imagery of his name is in their minds, or that they actually have it printed on their foreheads. You have to decide. And there shall be no night there. John's describing this city and this throne of God and everything that's there. And he says, there'll be no night there and no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. So those are the first five verses of what John sees. Now, we many people will try to take it literally. I think it's in interpretive language, and I think you have to spiritually try to understand what he's trying to convey through words of what he sees. But he's describing a kingdom that exists after all the horrors of Revelation are done. Beautiful imagery, if you ask me. Of course, uh, you have to decide. And now jump with me to verse 13 of the last chapter, where Jesus speaks... Now, just listen to what Jesus says. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then John adds, ready? Blessed are they that do his commands, his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. He just described the tree, and may enter in the gates of the city. So John says here, hey, Jesus just introduced himself as the Alpha and Omega. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Blessed are those. He says that they may, doesn't say that they will, says that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter into the gates of the city. And the city he described earlier as God being in the midst of it, there being a river pouring out from under the throne of of God and the Lamb, and there being light that uh, comes from God himself, not the sun or candles. He's describing the the new Jerusalem that he talks about in other places. And and he talks about those who, who, he, he says, blessed are those who do his commandments that they might have right to the tree of life and that they may enter in through the gates of the city. So there's gates all around the city, according to John, and there's there's, uh, three open gates on each of the four sides of the city, and they're open day and night. And he says, blessed are those who get to enter into the gates. Got that so far? Then he adds, for outside of the city, of the gates, are dogs, Sorcerers, 
whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and makes a lie. Now, there are a lot of crimes and a lot of sins that men and women can commit, right? John gives us these six or seven. And, and we'll talk about those. So let's work through these last two passages together. Um, remember, the dust has settled. All the events of Revelation have taken place. All the trumpets have been blown. All the vials have been emptied out. All the imagery is complete. Satan and, 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 and uh, the beast and the Antichrist have been cast in the lake of fire. That's all done. And John describes the city. Everything that can be shaken has been shaken. And John says, blessed are they. Who? They. More souls. After all the things described in Revelation, and they're complete, we are given a description of what the New Jerusalem above contains. And John says, blessed are they. See, the kingdom above, the, the New Jerusalem, is going to increase forever. Isaiah says that, his kingdom, there shall be no, the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. So we have this kingdom up there, the, the new Jerusalem, which is spiritual and which is above, and it has these gates and people, they are entering those gates and the increase of the kingdom will be forever and ever. You know, we read about Revelation describing the end of the cosmos and, the, and everything. That's just not the case. It's never going to end. Scripture says. God's kingdom is going to continue on with people deciding if they want to have relationship with him and live in that continuing city above or be outside of it. This is what John's wrapping up with, right? So that's the goal is to be inside that kingdom, to be able to enter in through the gate and to be able to partake of that, that tree, you know, whether, whether literally or symbolically, we don't know, and bask in that light that comes from God. That's what it all is. And he says, for outside, and he describes another realm outside of that kingdom. Again, you can take it literally, you can take it figuratively, but this is what John says. <clears throat> so John is referring to those who would approach and enter the kingdom once everything's fulfilled. Those who are in Christ, neither male nor female, nor Jew nor Greek, nor bond nor free, just a they. Blessed are they, John says. Not the Mormons, not the Catholics. He doesn't say the Baptists. He doesn't say the Pentecostals only, Presbyterians only. He says they. I, I, I don't think those gates are going to have angels or, or God or Jesus saying, okay, what denomination? No way. No way. Is this going to be saying, hey, are you one of they who do his commandments? That's, that's, that's what he says there who do his commandments. Blessed are they who do his commandments. If people say, how do you enter into the kingdom? How are you saved to the kingdom? You can quote John. You do his commandments. All right. Blessed are they that do his commandments. It's really interesting. They that do his commandments. Letting scripture interpret scripture, what are his commandments? Now, you could take all of the apostolic record and try to tease it apart, and you become what over 1,023 or 1,031 commands that are in the apostolic record from the apostles to the believers in that day of things they must do, believe, have, etc., etc., in order to be saved. Okay? 
you can also say, well, I'm going to take that in context and realize that they were telling them that they must do these things in order to be saved from the coming destruction. But the way I enter into the kingdom above, the way I go into the gates of that city is to do his commandments and his commandments are summarized in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23. Very simple. One scripture will tell you what his commandments are. You ready? And this is his commandment. Here you go. You want to know how to enter in? John says, blessed are they who uh, keep his, who do his commandments. You want to know what they are? And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave his commandment. Those are his commandments. John says, blessed are they who keep, do his commandments. And John, uh, the beloved, also wrote, blessed are they who do them. These are his commandments. Believe on him, Jesus, and love as he commanded. Love God, love others. There it is. How do you enter the kingdom? You believe on him, faith. You love others, God, man. There it is, okay? And just to let you know, the coin of entering into the kingdom is two-sided. On the one side is faith, on the other side is love. They always come together. When you give that coin to the, the keeper of the gate in the, in the New Jerusalem, it says, I had faith, and on the other side it says, I loved. They go together. Those who have faith are those who love. Always together, all right? Belief and love, as he gave commandments. Blessing are they who do this, John says, before adding that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. It's fascinating, especially when we read may twice. A number of other translations saying that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. What city? The heavenly city. The new Jerusalem. John now adds four. Okay. So there's a group. He says, blessed are those that they may enter in. And who are they? Those who do his commandments. And what are his commandments? To believe on him and to love. And then he goes on. He says, four. And now he looks outside the city. Four. Outside, meaning outside the city gates, one uses to enter into the kingdom are, and he describes six conditions. Notice that faithlessness and unbelief is not one of them. Neither is failing to love one of them. Those are the two commandments of those who enter in, you see. So we have to, we have to extract faith and love from the characteristics of those we're about to read about. In other words, they don't have faith or love. That's how you break up who's in and who's out. Those who had faith and love, those who do not. And how does John describe those who did not have faith or love? He calls them dogs. He says instead that outside the city are dogs, Sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and makes a lie. 
Fascinating, isn't it? It's utterly fascinating. He could have given us another hundred descriptions of people, but he gives us these six. They're outside, four outside. People always ask me, how come you come up with this thing about there's a new Jerusalem and you, you are saved to it or there, and then there's people outside of it and you got rid of hell and everything else? Because that's what John does. He gets rid of all the other things. He now at the last chapter of Revelation, after everything has been said and done and God has wrapped it all up and fulfilled it through the victory of Christ, he says, and I saw a city and there's water flowing out of it and there's light in it and all this. And he says, blessed are they who do his commandments for outside of it, are they who are dogs, kuon, who are sorcerers, pharmakeia, who are whoremongers, pornos, who are murderers, phoneos, who are idolaters, idolatres, and who loveth and maketh a lie, who love and make pseudo. These six things are particularly named in the wrap-up description of who John saw outside the city gates of light. First, he says they're dogs. Outside are dogs. Now, we love dogs in America. You know, we love our animals, we love our pets. Why does he use an animal, the dog, to describe human beings who are outside the city gates. Well, we could say, well, maybe he's not. Maybe he's just saying there's dogs outside and they're all over the place. Just dogs barking. Maybe there's barking. I don't think so, though. We get all sorts of interpretations of what he means by dogs, and there's a lot of different views. I don't think in our day we are equipped to understand how vile a dog was to the Greeks or to the Romans or to the Jews. Uh, but if we want to consider some of the potential interpretations of what dogs are, some scholars say that dogs are those who speak lies for money. I don't know how they come to that conclusion, but that's one of the interpretations. Another one is that they are like animals who are filthy and that they are filthy in their sin they're filthy in the way they've lived their life. They are called lickers, L-I-C-K-E-R-S, like a dog licks, right? And Jesus tells the parable of Lazarus who's covered in sores and that the dogs came and licked his wounds. This is transported and placed upon the people outside the, the, the kingdom and they are lickers of foul, uh, gross things. There is a idea from some scholars that these people are humpers of any object around, like dogs will also participate in that. Uh, the dog is a culture of a culturally impure person, according to Matthew 7, 6. Philippians 3, 2, dogs are symbols of evil, infamous people people who are popular uh, for their, uh, they're notorious and they're popular and, and infamous for their notoriety. We see people in our social media today who are, who fill that description of being a dog. 
They're filth lickers, right? And 2 Peter 2.2 uses dog as uh, something that goes back to its vomit. And so that is describing people who once believed, but went back to their former way of life. No longer believing on Christ, uh, no longer loving God and others first, but going back to their vomit. That's the reason that some people believe Jesus, uh, John describes those outside of the gate as dogs. All of these things are found in the Old Testament as well. The next term he uses to describe those outside the city in the King James is sorcerer. And of course, that comes from the Greek word pharmakeia, where we get the word pharmacy. And we all recognize that pharmacies is, are the place where we get drugs. And so many people will say, these are people who are addicted to drugs. And they just flat out say that. I'm not sure that's the case. I know people who are addicted to drugs, who love God, love Jesus. Um, they place their faith on him, but they're weak in their flesh and they've been overcome. So we have to look at the contextual understanding of sorcery or pharmakeia. And in that day, pharmakeia or sorcery uh, was a combination of casting spells and doing magic and sorcery and witchcraft and enchantments combined with drugs. That they would use drugs to tap into these spiritual dark forces, getting high as a means to indulge in metaphysical worship of pagan idols. And that was big in biblical times. And actually, it continues a practice uh, today. So I believe firmly, even though I, I believe Satan's gone and his demons are gone, I believe that there is a power of darkness out there today. And I believe that there's the power of God who is light. And that darkness is what influenced Satan to fall. That darkness is scary powerful. And so uh, while I don't believe Satan's at work any longer, I do believe there are dark deities or dark powers. Maybe they're not even uh, uh, human or not even uh, alive. Maybe they're just the absence of God. And these people back in that day tapped in to either Satan and his realm or the darkness through drugs. Musically, I'm a major fan of the band Tool. I can't find many bands more musically adept, but from their own admissions, they tap into a dark source that empowers their ability to compose and, and uh, present. So I mention this to illustrate that uh, I think these practices are always going to be around as, as where there is no light, there is darkness and that, and there is power there. So, I, and I'm not just picking on tool. Everything in the world, uh, if it's not of the light and of the kingdom of God, appeals to the dark forces that tend to reign in the realm of those who are outside the city gates. Uh, and sorcery was there. John adds war, uh, warmongers, whoremongers, and the Greek word there is pornos. And of course, when we read pornos, we think of pornography. Uh, and when we read of whoremonger, when we read of whores, uh, we think of females. And when we hear of mongers, we think of someone who sells something. And so like a warmonger, someone who sells war or a fishmonger, somebody who sells fish. Well, here the, the King James translated it to whoremongers. In that day and age, pornos had a really uh, direct application to uh, males who were the whores 
and, and who were prostitutes. So they, it is believed that, that he's talking about male prostitutes, which in the age of ancient Greece and Rome was super popular of men selling their bodies for sexual services, typically and almost always to other men. And that's what the meaning of the term pornos is there. However, the word porn, uh, pornos also uh, applies to almost any licentious sexual practice throughout scripture, including uh, shameless, aberrant, and listen to how I'm saying this, shameless, aberrant uh, intercourse of any kind, prostitution, por the pornography trade, uh, wife swapping, all of that stuff. Pornos is the word that is used to describe it usually. The only word that uh, pornos isn't usually used to describe is adultery. That word is makios, I think, and it's not the same word at all. So uh, it pictures a people outside that who lived in these things. So even though he's being really specific, I mean, we can get a general sense and we can say along the way that they obviously were not people who placed their faith in Christ and chose to love God and man over self. You can see the difference just in these two explanations. John adds murderers, phoneos, and which means the intentional criminal